I want to welcome you again to Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. If you are just now joining us online this morning, and thank you for checking in. I want to say good morning to Diane. It is indeed well. What a beautiful song we just heard. Good morning to Perpetua and Julie and Patty and Randall. Thank you so much for leaving a comment so that we know that you're here. This morning, we're continuing in our sermon series called In the Midst, which is a study of the book of Daniel, one of my very, very favorite books in Scripture. You might not know this, but we have a team that plans our sermon series about 12 months in advance. And when we planned this one, we had no idea what we would be in the midst of. But God did, and God has been speaking to us through the book of Daniel over these weeks, and I am again just blown away by the goodness and graciousness of God to us. So with that, let us pray. Gracious God, be with us now. As we learn from the book of Daniel this morning, would you open our eyes to see what you would have us see, open our ears to hear what you might speak to us, open our hearts to receive your word. And then, O oh God, open our hands that we might respond. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. A few weeks ago, my husband Robbie and I decided that we needed to get out of this Texas heat, and we decided to plan a trip to Colorado where we could go and be socially distanced in the mountains. We were so excited. We made all these plans for where to go and what to see. We planned meals and grocery lists to cook in our condo. We loaded up all of our kids, all three kids in the truck, and we filled the back with suitcases and about one million different baby items. We charted our course and we set off at 3 a.m. to head to Colorado. We have a one-year-old daughter named Ellie. She did incredibly well on this journey, considering that we put her in the car for 13-hour stretches. Well, we made it to Amarillo, but we were still in the great state of Texas when Ellie threw up in the car. Not baby spit up, but like throw up, throw up. And in preparation for this trip, you know, I decided that it was time to transition her from her infant car seat to a toddler car seat. So I ordered this fancy, expensive, luxury car seat for her. Robbie got it set up in the truck, and this was her first time even riding in the car seat. And there is baby throw up everywhere. Ellie was fine. We got her all cleaned up, but the car seat was not fine. It wasn't. We, we tried so hard, you know. But that smell, you know, the one that I'm talking about, it lingered with us all the way to Colorado. That's fun. But you see, this new thing that had been purchased for something that I would say could even be considered sacred to keep our daughter safe, it had been defiled. We weren't sure if it would ever be the same. In fact, Robbie and I even had the conversation, should we just throw this away and go to Walmart and buy a new one? But ultimately, we decided, no, let's see what we can do. We did our best to get it clean. Thankfully, our condo had a washing machine. And so we pre-scrubbed, and we used special soap, and we ran it through the machine. We did all these things, and finally, it took a while, but finally, what had been defiled was made clean and able to do what it was intended to do. So I wonder if you have had this experience, too. Is there anything in your life that has been defiled, and you wonder if it can ever be made clean again. Another way to say that, is there any place in your life that is broken, and you're, you just don't think that healing could ever come there? You know, this could be an object of sacred value to you. It could be your body or your mind. 
It could be something that someone has done to you or choices that you have made that have impacted your life. It could be, this could be about some, somebody that you love and care about. Or it could be even broader. It could be about systems of, of injustice that defile other people. I don't know what it is for you this morning, but I imagine that all of us at one point or another have felt a similar feeling. Maybe that we're not worthy of restoration by God, that we aren't even capable of being restored by God. Well, Daniel chapter 5, which Stephen so beautifully read for us over in the Copeland House Gardens, it speaks to us right into that place. So I want to wrap a little context around our scripture before we dive right into it. The book of Daniel, it takes place during the Babylonian exile. The empire of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, they came through Jerusalem. They conquered it with military might. They exiled the Jews from their homes in the Babylonian um, exile and took them into captivity. One of them being Daniel, who was just a teenager at the time. In the past couple of weeks, we learned about Daniel's resistance to the Babylonian culture, his willingness to stand up for the God that he believed in. He refused to eat food that wasn't kosher. He refused to bow down and worship the king, even to the point of being thrown in the fiery furnace. His faith in the one true God was strong, and it enabled him to interpret the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar that no one else could do. Because of this, he was elevated in the kingdom. However, when we get to chapter 5, there's a new king of Babylon, a guy named Belshazzar. And 23 years have passed since Nebuchadnezzar's death. And in fact, Daniel is about 80 years old at this point in time. Once Nebuchadnezzar died, Daniel would have lost his status in the kingdom. And once Nebuchadnezzar died, we see that Babylon had this really fast decline. What I find interesting is that during those 23 years between Nebuchadnezzar's death into chapter 5, the crown has been in the hands of four different leaders. Nebuchadnezzar's son took the crown first. He was affectionately, or maybe we should say not affectionately, called Evil Merodach. He ruled for a couple of years, but then he was assassinated by his brother-in-law. Another son ruled for a while, and then his son, named Labarshi Mudok, who ruled only two months, and then he was assassinated. He was then succeeded by this guy named Nabonidus, who ruled for 17 years. But Nabonidus didn't really care about ruling Babylon. He was absent from ruling for more than 10 years because he was more interested in going around and restoring temples for worship of the Babylonian gods. So he appointed Belshazzar, the king in our story, as co-regent of, of Babylon. So Belshazzar is in the place of king when we begin Daniel chapter 5. And as a side note, Belshazzar has no idea who Daniel is at this point because Daniel had been removed from the palace when Nebuchadnezzar died. So keep that in mind. Belshazzar has seen a history of chaos, of corruption, of assassination, of betrayal, throughout his lifetime in Babylon, and he has no idea, no idea, how to rule the country. But what he does know how to do is have parties. The year is 539 BCE, or before the Common Era, before Jesus was born, and Daniel 5 tells us that Belshazzar threw a party for a thousand of his nobles in Babylon. 
Some commentators say that this was a drunken orgy that was happening. I mean, can you even imagine what this was like? There are thousands of people. They're drinking wine, they're partying, and they must have run out of glasses because Belshazzar says, hey, bring up those gold and silver goblets. Let us use those for the party. But these gold and silver goblets, they were precious objects to the Jewish people that had been consecrated. They were part of the temple in Jerusalem that had been ransacked by the Babylonians. They had been consecrated by God for use in the temple. When Nebuchadnezzar and his armies conquered Jerusalem, they took everything of value with them to Babylon. They took something sacred, something that had been consecrated for use by God, and they defiled it. They further defiled these objects by using them at this party, and they began to worship not the God who consecrated them, but They worshipped what the objects were made out of. They worshipped the silver and the gold and wood and iron. And God, our one true God, is not pleased. All of a sudden, something really strange starts to happen. This is why you have to read your Bible, because this is cool. Let's look at Daniel 5, verses 5 through 6. It says this. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched as the hand wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. Now, if I looked up and saw a human hand writing on the wall right here, I would be freaked out too. This is actually where we get the phrase, the writing is on the wall. This is a warning. Take heed of this. One side note for those of you who love history as much as I do is that archaeologists actually excavated a large hall in Babylon that was 55 feet wide and 165 feet in length and had plastered walls, much like the one described here in Babylon. Here, here we are. There's a human hand writing on the wall. I dare say that it was the hand of God. King Belshazzar is freaking out. He doesn't know what, it, what these words mean, so he calls the people who are supposed to know these things. He calls the enchanters and the diviners and the astrologers from the kingdom to interpret the writing that's on the wall. This is much like King Nebuchadnezzar did when he needed somebody to interpret his dreams. He called all these people, but no one could do it. Belshazzar even says, I will give you a reward if you can do this. I will make you the third in the country. Why third? Because Belshazzar is co-regent with Nabonidus. So whoever can do this would come in as second in command to Belshazzar, number three. So after trying all of his nobles, remember, this is a party of thousands of them. They're still baffled. They cause all this commotion, and the queen hears what's going on, and she comes into the banquet hall, and she says, hey, I know a guy who can help. His name is Daniel. And what's interesting here is that most commentators think this queen was probably the wife of King Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar's grandmother. In scripture, it says Nebuchadnezzar was the father of Belshazzar, which is a common, common way to say that, but he was actually the grandfather of Belshazzar. So she must have been this highly prestigious woman because here she is, she enters a banquet hall filled with nobles, uninvited, and then she kind of took charge of the situation. And the wife of Nebuchadnezzar would have known who Daniel was because he was in the palace during Nebuchadnezzar's time. 
So here comes Daniel. He's brought in before Belshazzar, and Belshazzar says, please tell me what these words mean. I will give you a purple robe and a gold chain, and I'll make you third in the kingdom. And Daniel says, I don't, I don't want your gifts. You give your reward to someone else, but I can tell you what the writing means. And Daniel 5.23 says, this is Daniel speaking to Belshazzar. He says, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you didn't honor God, who holds in his hand your life in all of your ways. So in other words, Belshazzar, you defiled something holy, something that had been consecrated for God for holy use. You took something sacred and debased it. You didn't honor God, and because of that, God wrote these words on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, parson. Mene means that the days of your reign are numbered. And in fact, Belshazzar is killed that very night. Tekel means that you have been found on the scales, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. This means that he hasn't measured up in light of God's standards. He doesn't measure up. And parson Your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And that night when he is killed, here comes King Darius, king of the Medes, who took over the kingdom. The writing is on the wall. We are not to defile the sacred. We are not to defile the holy. You see, Belshazzar made this this grievous mistake of treating the holy as unholy. And you know, in the the Old Testament, God makes a big deal about things that are consecrated. During the time of Moses, the Israelites believed that God's presence resided with them in the tabernacle. And in Leviticus chapter 8, it tells us that Moses took this anointing oil and he anointed the whole tabernacle and all that was in it and he consecrated them. He sprinkled some water on the altar seven times. He anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the basin and he consecrated them. Then once the temple in Jerusalem is built, God spoke to King Solomon, and God said these words, For now I have chosen and I have consecrated this holy place so that my name may be here forever. My eyes and heart will be here for all of time. To consecrate simply means to clean or to declare holy or to treat as holy. To consecrate means that people or things are set aside and reserved for use by God alone. We are not to treat the unholy, we are not to treat the holy as unholy. And you know, I'm reminded too that that we are also holy vessels in the house of the Lord. Ephesians 1 chapter 4 tells us that Christ has loved you since before the foundations of the earth were laid that you are to be holy and blameless in the love of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 tells us that it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and anoints us by putting his seal on us and putting his spirit in our hearts. In fact, the word Messiah that we use for Jesus Christ, it literally means the anointed one. We are anointed through Christ. We are consecrated by God for holy use, set aside by God for the purposes of God. 
And I asked you earlier if there's anything in your life that has been defiled and you wonder if it could ever be made clean again. Or maybe defiled isn't the right word. Maybe it's, is there any place that's broken that you are sure cannot be healed? This is the good news this morning, that vessels that have been treated as unholy can be treated as holy again. Vessels that have been treated as unholy can be treated as holy again. They can be reconsecrated for use by God. That goes for the gold and silver goblets, but more importantly, it goes for me and for you as well. You see, in the book of Ezra, it tells us that those goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took from the holy temple up to Babylon, remember the writing on the wall, said that the kingdom would be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Well, King Cyrus is king of Persia, and in Ezra chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, it says this, King Cyrus of Persia himself brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had them released into the charge of Midretha, the treasurer who counted them, and to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And then it tells us the inventory, how many things they had taken. There were 5,400 altogether in Sheshbazar, an Israelite, brought them back up from Babylon back to Jerusalem, back to the temple. So when the Israelites eventually return to Jerusalem, all these vessels go with them. And then later in the book of Ezra chapter 8, they are re-consecrated for use in the temple. Just as the articles from the temple were returned and reconsecrated, the same can be of us. We can be reconsecrated for use by God too. That is good news. Remember the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall was there. That word tekel meant that King Belshazzar had been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Friends, when we are weighed on the scales... When we are measured, when we have to give an account to God one day, we will not be found wanting. Those of us who are in Christ, we have been anointed by Christ for use by God. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for us with his death on the cross. And it is Christ himself who consecrates you because Christ lives within you. It is Christ himself who brings restoration to the broken places in our lives. It is Christ himself who brings about redemption and resurrection. Wherever you are this morning, no matter the amount of defilement that has been done to you or that you have done to yourself or that has happened to somebody who you love, no matter the broken places, no matter the sin, no matter what, Christ offers his love to you and his forgiveness to you and then anoints you and makes all things new. Just like the vessels from the temple, we can be reconsecrated for use by God. That is good news. As a pastor, I have the distinct privilege of hearing stories of people who can testify that God can and does indeed reconsecrate us when we offer ourselves to Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a pastor, I heard him speak at a conference several years ago from South Carolina, pastor of this mega church, and he was removed with cause from his position as pastor for several really valid reasons. 
This pastor went to rehab. He formally apologized to those he impacted. He asked God to reconsecrate him. And within the last year or so, he started a new church called Second Chance Church, which really is an appropriate name because vessels that have been treated as unholy can be treated as holy again. There's another organization that I have supported called Hookers for Jesus. Women who have experience in, as prostitutes or in the stripping industry have been reconsecrated, and now they work to help other women out of sex trafficking. Vessels that have been treated as unholy can be treated as holy again. We could go on and on with these examples because God is moving and God is consecrating, but my friends, it is only because of Jesus. It is only because of Jesus that vessels that have been treated as unholy can be treated as holy again. So this morning, may you know the power and presence of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who meets you right where you are, who has never stopped loving you, and who brings about restoration and redemption and resurrection to the broken places. May today be a day when we all offer ourselves to be reconsecrated to our Lord, to be set aside for use by God alone, to bring glory to God alone. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.